broadband. We need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today. Here's your host, Stephen Smith. Hello, and I'm Stephen Smith. Welcome to our first episode of our new podcast. Now, some of our listeners may be familiar with the Story Connect podcast. Uh, that's another show produced by Word South that focuses on the communications, uh, marketing issues. But there are often issues that we'd like to explore that go beyond marketing communications. And this new podcast really gives us a platform to explore those broader topics. And I can think of no better way to launch this new show than with our guest today, Miss Shirley Bloomfield. Shirley, welcome to our show. Thank you, Stephen. I am honored to be your first guest for this podcast that you're just launching. Well, thank you for making time for us today. Shirley is the CEO of NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. Now, that is the premier association that represents nearly 850 independent, community-based telecommunications companies. Shirley has more than 30 years' experience uh, representing the the small independent telecom operators. And I'd like to start by uh, jumping into that. Uh, Shirley, and asking you, has in that the time that you've been serving this industry, have you ever seen such a time of challenge for these rural broadband providers? That is a loaded question, Stephen, and absolutely not. What I have found over the course of the history of this industry is that change has been more evolutionary. Uh, this felt like the rug got pulled out from everybody very quickly. But I will add, I've also been so impressed at how quickly everybody pivoted to new ways of operating, new ways to deal with customers, new ways to deal with installs. It's been inspirational. So uh, what are some of the efforts that you have seen uh, from these providers that have uh, really shown some innovative ways to, to deal with this pandemic? So one of the things that I think has been the most interesting to me was um, the concern that these companies had for their technicians, and yet at the same time realizing they had school children suddenly doing online learning who needed connectivity. You had adults working from home for the first time. That created a really interesting demand point. But but watching these companies figure out new ways, um, I had one general manager who actually referred to his tech teams as MacGyvering um, as they did installs. You know, thinking through how do you do things differently? How do you not have your techs come into the office every day, but do installs out of whatever they have in their truck? How do you... Um, Think about creating, you know, watching people create these picture images of uh, photos to send to the customers as they stood outside windows and said, connect the red wire to the round opening. Um, you know, it's that spirit of, of innovation when they think about, you know, how, how you're going to handle some of those um, cases. The other thing that I just have been blown away by is how people have thought about their school children in their communities and the way. Um, some companies have literally redirected their fiber plant that was going directly to the school and getting that fiber uh, infrastructure closer to the students' homes who needed it. Uh, people who were thinking about, well, you know, I may have the connectivity I'm going to provide, but my school children in my community may not have access to a laptop and providing some of those needs. So I just think that whole sense of 
you know, what do my customers need? What does my community need? And then just doing it and watching uh, the employees of these companies rally around that cause. Very inspirational. Well, this is certainly a story that you have been telling for many, many years. But now that we are in this crisis, we're seeing, uh, I think it's really highlighted just how critical that uh, broadband service is. And likewise, how detrimental it is not having um, broadband service in the unserved population. That has been um, a real eye-opener, I think, for a lot of policymakers who are, are now suddenly, it feels like this light bulb has gone off of, oh my gosh, there are parts of this country that don't have connectivity and they don't have access, and what can we do to solve it? And, and there is a small part of me that does think, you know what, we've been telling you this for decades, how important it is to make sure that no matter where people live, that they have access uh, to this infrastructure. So instead of getting petty, um, we have pivoted very quickly to um, trying to direct their attention, their enthusiasm, hopefully federal support, um, to actually creating these networks. The other thing I think it highlights a little bit, Stephen, is that there, in my mind, is really two rural Americans. So when policymakers like to pivot to rural America is really suffering, there's no internet connectivity, I do find myself having to remind people that there's a rural-rural divide. There's a rural America that is served by community-based providers who live and work and play and raise their children in their communities. They are future-focused. They have built amazing infrastructure, and we have seen that infrastructure rise to the occasion. They have been able to handle the increased bandwidth usage demands. They have been able to handle new customers coming on, increasing speeds, um, and manage that beautifully, frankly. And then there's a rural America that is served by larger carriers where historically they have not put their money in um, investing into the network. They have put their money in to their more competitive markets, which, you know, from a business perspective makes sense. But what it's done is it's really created two different kinds of, of rural service standards. And that is a bridge that policymakers really need to be focusing on. Mm, that's a great point. Um, WordSouth serves several clients who have uh, distressed counties in their service areas, and even uh, you know some of the poorest counties in in their particular states. And yet they have a one hundred percent fiber to the home network there that is helping make a real difference in those communities. Absolutely. When you think about how the the American economy is going to rebound. I think those communities are perfectly situated to capture whatever economic rebound we're able to do, as well as potentially attract new businesses, attract new workers um, who who suddenly find that their work can be a lot more mobile and remote than we than we imagined a year ago. And what kind of sense do you have, Shirley, of um, of how permanent some of this? A shift that we've seen is going to be in terms of remote working and, and distance learning and that sort of thing? You know, it's a really interesting question, and I really wish I had a, a magic ball to take a look at it because there's a part of me that says, will this be like 9-11, where we as a country kind of got turned topsy-turvy, our patterns shifted, um, but then quite frankly, a year later, it was like we had kind of short-term amnesia. And we're kind of right back to doing things the way we had done them previously. 
I, I think there's obviously a lot of really key indicators along the way. You know, will there be a vaccine? When will that come? Will there be uh, effective ways to treat COVID-19 if, if people are impacted? Will we have enough PPE and uh, medical support? All of those things that I think are really top of mind. But I do think it has changed the way people look at things. Um, for example, half of my team takes the metro to work. Mass transport, you know, will people really be willing to get back on trains um, in the numbers that they used to? Will people be willing to get on airplanes? Um, I'm very anxious to have NTC members come back to conferences, but how do we socially distance when you've got a thousand people in a ballroom? There's Mm. so many things we still have to learn. Mm, That's very true. Now, you recently testified before uh, the Senate Commerce Committee, and uh, I'd like to get you to talk a little bit about uh, your testimony there. But first, kind of paint the picture of what that was like. It was uh, not quite like any visit to the Hill you've had before, right? It was almost surreal, Stephen. So, you know, I spent a lot of time going up to Capitol Hill. Um, I worked on Capitol Hill for years, um, years ago. And But to drive up that morning, first of all, I, I found it a little bit ironic that we were doing a hearing on broadband connectivity. And um, the day before, they had health officials testify via broadband, but we, the broadband executives, actually had to come in in person while half of the committee members uh, were beaming in from their homes to their offices. But, you know, driving up to Capitol Hill, I was the only car in the road. It took me 12 minutes. Um Usually, I, I, I plan on at least half an hour, 40 minutes, you know, parking in Union Station, walking through a completely empty major train station, um, you know, to, to walk over to the building. I, you know, I had my mask. I had my gloves. I had to be escorted into the one door that was open, um, going through a couple of police officers into this cavernous hearing room because they had to only do hearings in the largest room they had available so that everybody could be socially distanced. And you walk in and the witness table had the three chairs that were six feet apart. We all had our own jug of hand sanitizer and sanitary wipes in front of us. And um, the members of the committee were probably, oh, probably 20 yards away. So you had this feeling of... um, it, it was surreal. It was um, it was interesting to kind of see members of Congress with masks on, who wore masks, who didn't wear masks. But I will also share, Stephen, it was the first hearing I have testified at where I believe every single member of Congress participated uh, on that committee. Every member of that committee participated, hmm. half of them beamed in, but there was nobody who wanted to miss an opportunity to talk about broadband, where do we go, and how important it is. So it was almost a three-hour hearing, which felt like a marathon. Mm. So you sensed a, a heightened reality that, uh, among the, the committee members that this is a, a... Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. I think, And I think their interest was twofold. One, how are the networks holding up with all of this new pressure? And two... What do we do going forward? How do we make sure that we not only connect Americans, but keep people connected? So um, share your vision, if you will, um, 
like you mentioned in your your uh, recent letter to to the members of uh, of a forever connected America, what are the keys to getting us to the point that that rule rule divide that you mentioned that those who are doing such a good job, uh, so many of your members doing a, a wonderful job of connecting their um, very in some cases very rural service areas and and replicate that over to the rest of rural America. What is it going to take to solve this challenge? Oh, that is literally the multi-billion dollar question, isn't it, Stephen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I I think I think there is a part of some policymakers who are looking for the magic bullet. And I think um I probably pop the the balloon when I literally remind them it's going to take money it's going to take resources it's going to take coordination we've got the rural digital opportunity fund coming up um, through the FCC they're going to vote on the rules on that shortly and they're going to roll that auction out in the fall that is going to be the first step towards really pulling back some of these areas served by large carriers to say you know what? Reality check. You're never going to serve this community. So let it go and let's let somebody else come in to bid to serve it. So I, I, I have great hope for that program. I've been pleased with what USDA is doing on the reconnect front. I think that is a game changer for some communities that have been previously unserved. But I do think that that policymakers need to realize that this isn't something you just throw money at and walk away. You've also got to be committed to sustaining the investment that you've already made. And that is just as important as that initial seed money to build these networks. The other thing that I think they need to keep in mind is they need to be focused on, let's do it right the first time. Let's build a future-proof network. Let's not look for some Band-Aid solutions that, frankly, right now may make sense. You know, throw up a Wi-Fi spot, throw up a MiFi, uh, do do some wireless uh, uh, you know, fixed wireless connectivity to actually get those last few houses while while they really need that connection. But then let's make sure that when we really put money into this, we put it into fiber um, and we, we do it in a way where we're thinking about not looking at uh, a, a two-lane road, but rather an eight-lane highway. Let's build it right the first time. Well, let's hope that... Um that the collective will is, is now present for us to really make some, some progress on this. And, and that one day we will not be talking about the rural broadband challenge. We'll be talking about the uh, tremendous growth and opportunities that have been made possible by a, a rural America that is connected and forever connected. Absolutely. And that is going to be really, and that is the future of this country. That is the future of our economy and certainly the education of our school children and public safety and all of the Internet of Things uh, technology that we have coming down the road. This hasn't really been talked about much, but uh, I've been thinking that as we see, certainly when you look at the maps of the hotspots of the, the COVID-19 crisis, you know, those are our are, are major cities uh, to a great extent. And you, you have to think that at some point, there's going to be a, a, an outward migration from some of those um, urban centers, especially considering that there are rural options out there where the connectivity is good and where a company is providing work from home opportunities. 
rural America sounds like a pretty good option, doesn't it? I think rural America is a fabulous option. And I think we've got a really interesting window right now, Stephen, to be talking about um, smart rural communities. What What is powering these communities? It is their broadband connectivity. So as you look at people in urban America who say, you know what, I was shut down for, for three months in New York City and like, holy cow, I am out of here. Um, I think, how do we take this time? How do, we, how do you find the opportunity that could exist in a moment of crisis um, when people are looking for... Um, quality of life. They are looking for a less dense lifestyle. They don't want to have to take public transportation, but what they need is connectivity. That is going to be the key. And that is something that I think under the smart rural community umbrella, we have the opportunity to really promote for community-based providers, a way to brand themselves, a way to work with site selection committees, a way to tell the story of, of life in rural America that I think can be extremely appealing right now. But again, once we have people so fixed into the, well, rural America doesn't have internet, I think the smart rural community brand is what will help us drive the fact that not only is there connectivity in rural America, but frankly, there's better connectivity in most of these communities than you're going to find even in an urban area. And your Smart Rural Communities program is is an excellent uh, program, not just branding, but but beyond that, being able to re- really a window into the stories out there in rural America. And going to your website, ntca.org slash smart, you see a lot of uh, stories there of just remarkable efforts at the local levels to do, you know, to go above and beyond, uh, to say the least. And uh, you, you have some members out there doing some innovative things to connect their communities? They are doing amazing work connecting their communities. And I think they are thinking creatively about how do you reach that last farm? How do you you make sure that that last enclave gets service? How how do you connect some of your public community centers, um, your anchor institutions? I, I think that is the beauty. And I've actually, because I do have some experience working for large companies, you know, the one thing I think large companies in some ways are a little bit envious of with NTCA members is how quickly they can move, how quickly they can pivot, how creative they can be. And they don't have to go through 14 different corporate layers to say, you know what, let's try this solution. What if we do this? What would that look like? Um, you know, and I see it with the reconnect grants that have been coming out from USDA. I've been seeing it as people are looking at working with their state uh, broadband programs to use some of the state support to infuse um, or extend some of their existing deployment plans. So that's all very exciting. Well, there's certainly uh, a lot to be excited about and also a lot of work uh, yet to do. And we know, Shirley, that you and your team are there advocating uh, in Washington and really all across America for the job that these rural providers are doing. Uh, Thank you for taking time to join us today, Shirley, again on our very first episode of Rural Broadband Today, a new podcast uh, produced by Word South, a content marketing company. And uh, again, I'm Stephen Smith, uh, your host for the show. And Shirley, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a treat to be with you, Stephen, and we love all of the work that Word South is doing. So thank you for all of, all of what you are doing to tell the story of rural America.
Thank you. Stay well, stay healthy, and we'll talk with you soon. Stephen, I I enjoyed it thoroughly. You take care of yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Rural Broadband Today is a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company.